One of the the saddest parts of my job is uh, meeting with people. I don't mean people in general. The saddest part is meeting with people uh, who once claimed to be believers but are now no longer following Christ. Uh, People who would once say, yes, I love Jesus and yes, I live for Jesus and yes, I I long to know Jesus. But now they can't say those words. Now Jesus isn't even on their radar. What causes that? I'm sure you can think of people who, who once said, yes, I'm a Christian. But today they don't claim it anymore. What causes that? I think sometimes it's an intellectual thing. Uh, Mike and I bumped into a lady on Friday. I uh, went to church for years. Uh, she told me she hadn't been to church for a few months now because she'd read a book about Islam. And this book really shook her and she began to question things and she wasn't quite sure what she believed anymore about Jesus, so she stopped going to church. A friend of mine called Martin, uh, he was a strong Christian and he went and did a degree in theology. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? You know, he studied the Bible and he was blown away by these ideas and these theories it had nothing to do with the Bible and now he wouldn't call himself a Christian. Sometimes it's intellectual. Often it's lifestyle. I think of Jeremy who fell in love with a girl and he lived with a girl and it felt so great except she wasn't a Christian and now he says, well, Jesus, I won't bother with him anymore. Uh, someone called Darren, for him it was career. Career took over, Jesus took the back seat. Uh, another couple from an old church, you know, for them it was their kids actually. You know, they idolised their kids and so kids sport on a Sunday morning took over from church and then They just drifted and they just drifted and then suddenly Jesus is not on the radar. Sometimes it's actually just circumstances, life circumstances. You know, you go through a particularly hard time, a tragedy, and you think, well, why? Why has God allowed this? And you just walk away from Jesus. I'm sure you know people who once believed but no longer call themselves believers. I want to ask you, if you met with those people, I'm going to meet with a lady I met on Friday, I've already phoned her, I'm going to see her this week. What am I going to say to her? What would you say to her? What does she need to hear? See, I could start by engaging about Islam. But actually the, the best way, I think, and the most, the most fruitful way is to go back to basics. Just go back to Jesus. Just go back to who he was and, and what he did and who he claimed to be. It's the same with everything. You, know, you meet with a couple who, who are living together and they've moved away from Jesus. and You can, you can attack or uh, discuss rather the, the lifestyle issues, but actually they need to hear about Jesus again, don't they? Same with all of us here. When we drift... When we start to shift away from church and away from God, what we need to hear is, is Jesus. Jesus and the Gospel. And that's what Paul does to the Corinthians. Uh, for them, it was an issue to do with the resurrection. Let's look down to verse 12. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
Uh, that was the question for them. Uh, they're saying there is no resurrection of the dead. Let me just be clear here. They believed in the after- afterlife. I reckon the Corinthians are, are like a lot of Sydney Christians. You know, they believe that when you die, your, your spirit goes to be with God or your soul goes to be with God. They believe that someone is up there looking down on you. But what they don't believe, what they're struggling with, is this idea of the, the bodily resurrection. They don't believe in new bodies. They don't believe in transformed bodies. They don't believe in resurrection bodies. And so what does Paul do with them? The same as I'm going to do with this lady this week. Back to Jesus, back to the gospel, back to the good news. So, firstly, the facts of the gospel. The facts of the gospel. Look at verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received, past tense, it changed your past, and on which you've taken your stand, it's affecting your present. Uh, Verse 2, by this gospel you are being saved, you are saved if, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. If you don't shift, if you don't wander, if you don't compromise, you'll be saved. He's kind of saying, come on guys, have you forgotten so quickly? Why have you forgotten? What is it about the gospel we need to be reminded of? Well, the first one's there in verse 3. What I received, I pass on to his first important as a priority, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Christ really did die. Please don't gloss over that sentence. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus was the Christ, he was the Messiah, he was the anointed one. He really did die. If you don't know your, your Bible, just pick up a gospel. This man Jesus, they, they flogged him until his skin almost peeled off his back. And, and then they hung him on a cross and so he asphyxiated, so he suffocated and then they got a spear and they jammed it through his side as their blood and water came. He really did die. And that's the extraordinary thing about Islam is actually it denies that Jesus did die. But no, no, the Bible says Jesus did die. The whole of the Old Testament points to it according to the scriptures. The Passover, the exile, Isaiah 53, all pointed to the crucified Messiah. But look at those, those words. He died for what? What was the purpose? Just read them with me. He died... For our sins. And you say, yeah, I've heard that before. The extraordinary words. He died for your sins. Uh, you, the sinful person, you who have done wrong. And just think about it this week. Uh, before I went to bed last night, I just wrote down on a piece of paper. Sins, if you want. I came with this for yesterday. This is just yesterday. Selfishness, envy, hypocrisy, greed, lies, impatience. That's my sins from yesterday. And I deserve judgment. But look at those words, Christ died for our sins. He took your place. The hymn writer says, because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. The swap took place. There's a true story about a, a, a diving instructor called uh, Adam Jennings. Apparently he works for a company up in uh, the, uh, the Barrier Reef. He was leading a dive one day and there was a, a group of young lads who'd come from a detention centre. 
in Cairns. And no one quite knows what happened, but on one of these dives, uh, the breathing apparatus from one of the kids failed to work. And no one knows quite what happened, but all we know is that underwater Adam took off his breathing mask and gave it to the guy. And he didn't survive. That guy is a a young detention centre guy. He's not worthy to be rescued. And he didn't know him, but he still died for him. And Jesus knows us and our sinfulness and how wretched we are, and he is willing to die for us. If Jesus didn't die, there's no satisfaction for the wrath of God. If Jesus didn't die, there's no forgiveness, there's no reconciliation, there's no peace with God. If Jesus didn't die then you and I are still facing that day. It's like tick, 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 tick. A day closer, we're going to meet with God and he'll get the list of all our wrongdoings and we will face hell if he did not die. But he did die, according to the scriptures. Uh, Verse 4, more than that, he, he really was raised. See that verse 4? He was buried. He, he really was buried. The, the women saw where it was. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He died on the Friday. God raised him on the Sunday. When the disciples went back, the tomb was empty. He'd come back to life, just as promised in, in Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And if you don't believe me, says Paul, well, go and talk to people. Uh, four times he says in, in the next three verses, he appeared. Look at it with me. Verse 5. He appeared to Peter the man who denied Jesus and said, I, I don't know that guy. He appeared to him. He appeared to the twelve, verse five. To the twelve disciples who just didn't quite get it. Uh, he appeared, verse six, to more than 500 people at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have, have died. They've fallen asleep. He says, you know, on one occasion, we don't know when, we don't know where, but like about, about five times the number of people has gathered here, Jesus suddenly appeared and they could see him and they could hear him and they could touch him because he's alive. Verse 7 is interesting, isn't it? He appeared to James. James was the the brother of Jesus. And when you read the Gospels, his own brother didn't believe. His own brother didn't believe in him. And yet later the same man, James, was the leader of the church. What happened? He saw the risen Jesus. And then he appeared to Paul, verse 8. Last of all, he appeared also to me. Remember the Damascus Road? The words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And suddenly Paul goes from being a murderer to a pastor of the church. Jesus was raised. I, I, I have to say, I just don't get it. I mean, intellectually, how much more evidence do people want Sure, there's some things don't fit into our human logical framework. And that's because we're not God. You know, why didn't God provide a different solution to sin? I don't know, because I'm not God. Why didn't God spare his son? I don't know, because I'm not God. Why doesn't Jesus write in the sky, hello, I'm alive? I don't know, because I'm not God. But he's told me that he did rise. And because of that... It means that my forgiveness doesn't depend on how I feel, but on what Jesus did. And my relationship with God doesn't depend on whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. It depends on the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And my status as a child of God does not depend on my life circumstances, 
whether God brings good or brings bad into my life. It depends on the fact that Jesus died and he rose again. That's the fact, reliable, historical. It's all about Jesus. You know, I love Jesus, I serve Jesus, I sing to Jesus, my heart longs for Jesus, my mind is filled with Jesus, because it's all about him. The facts of the gospel. But it's more than just facts, isn't it? It's what blew my mind when reading this passage this week. It's actually the, the transforming effect of the gospel. It's not just facts on a piece of paper. These facts have changed lives. Now, I think of a couple who I pastored. They're not Christians and they became Christians. And you know, they stopped living together. They moved out. They got married and then lived together as a married couple as Christians. Why? Because they'd met Jesus. I think of another guy I know called Anthony. He struggled with same-sex attraction. He met Jesus. He stopped sleeping around. He's now celibate for Jesus. What caused my friend Robert to, to cope with the death of his son? He knows Jesus. It transforms your life. And it transformed Paul. Look at verse 8. It, it, it's actually quite a stark verse. Last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Literally that word means to one miscarried. To one stillborn. He's saying, I'm not fit for life. I don't deserve to live and breathe, he's saying. Look how he describes himself in verse 9, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I don't deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Again, if you don't know your Bibles, Paul was the same man who stood there egging people on as they stoned Stephen to death. He murdered Christians. He hated Christians. And then he became the pastor of the church. What happened? He met Jesus. I was trying to think of the best analogy. It is a bit like you know, Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein applying to more college. You know, the mass murderers apply to Bible college because they've met Jesus and it's transformed their life. And Paul has those words like least, last, not worthy. And then he says these remarkable words in verse 10. But, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not worthy, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm still born, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's grace to save. Take those words, least, unworthy, last, stillborn, and replace them with the word grace. By the grace of God, you are what you are. You know, just think about yourself. And write down words that describe you, and you might come up with words like that. Unworthy, disqualified, failure. Guilty, weak, sinful, impatient, unkind, ungodly. Yes, that's us, isn't it? And then you look at that, that list of words and over every single one of them you write the word grace, 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 grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the gospel, you know. God takes people who are in the gutter, unworthy, and he stamps them with the word grace. And maybe you're here tonight and you've never really grasped that. You still think that's who that you are worthy. 
and God needs to grab hold of you and, and take you to his cross and say, no, no, you're not worthy. But just look at my son, the one who died, the one who was raised, and by the grace of God you'll be who you are. It's grace to save, but more than that, it's grace to serve. Look at Paul, because grace isn't without effect. By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. He didn't just say, yes, I'm a believer. No, he started to serve Jesus. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What empowered Paul to serve? Grace. What motivated Paul to serve Jesus? Grace. What humbled Paul to serve Jesus? Grace. I love those three words, yet not I. Look at them, verse 10. Yet not I. You can imagine Paul saying, I planted all these churches, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I wrote thousands of letters, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I helped hundreds of Christians, yet not I, but the grace that was with me. I laboured so others could hear the gospel. I suffered in prison. I preached, I corrected, I praised, I encouraged. Cross out the word I, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I've been blown away by those three words this week, yet not I. I've got a post-it note I put it on my computer, I put it on my TV, I put it on my phone, yet not I. It's not about us. If you're there tonight saying, I'm a disciplined Bible reader, you want to say, yet not I, but the grace that's with me. I've got great parenting skills, yet not I, but the grace that God has given me. I sing with great passion, I speak in tongues, yet not I, but the grace of God that's with me. I have great preaching skills, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. I've got incredible listening skills, I'm caring, I'm loving, I'm kind, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. That's what Jesus and the resurrection means, you know. Grace, grace, grace. Grace to save you, but also grace to serve. And if you're sitting here tonight, just own those three words, yet not I. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you sing, every person you meet is because of the grace of God shown in your life. And you've understood the cross. If you've understood the empty tomb, if you've really, really encountered the risen Lord Jesus, then those three words, they've got to underpin what we do, haven't they? Yet not I, but the grace of God that's at work in me. I'm going to leave you those three words. I'll leave you just to ponder. Moment silent, and then we'll have a meeting, greet time. In. Uh, before we do that, I wanted to just you to think about a question. What's at stake? What's at stake if Jesus did not rise from the dead? Why did it matter? What do we lose if Jesus was not raised? I'm going to tell you a story about, uh, it was a Tuesday afternoon, it was March, I think, 1991. And it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Uh, We sang, uh, we prayed, 
we cried and we laughed and I walked away from this funeral just with my mind buzzing going I just don't get it you know, I'd, I've been to many funerals before I've been to my grandfather's funeral I've been to my, my dad's funeral I'd even read this same reading 1 Corinthians 15 at my dad's funeral but there was something about this particular funeral that was different I'd become a Christian about a year before but you know the Bible was a big book and there was lots I just did not understand and so I remember meeting up with a guy I read the Bible with every week as a new Christian and I said why? what is it that made this different? and you know as Christians always do they talked a lot and I didn't understand most of it and, but I do remember just a couple of words they say it's because of the resurrection it's because of the resurrection and that was kind of like an aha moment for me because up until that point as, as a, a one year old Christian I believed in the resurrection of Jesus of course I believed Jesus was raised but I hadn't understood the implications of the resurrection but because of the resurrection this funeral was different because as a believer this lady was now with Jesus what's at stake if Jesus was not raised just think about that question as Todd brings us our, our next reading. But it's just fiction. Uh, this book called the Bible, it's just a pack of lies. If Jesus is still in, in, a, in the grave, in the tomb somewhere, this whole book is a bunch of lies. If Jesus wasn't raised, no, uh, the Apostle Paul would have been far better off just being a motivational speaker. You know, he'd have earned more money, he'd be more popular, spent less time in prison, Denying the resurrection is kind of like taking a foundation stone out of the house. The whole house just crumbles. It's like taking that, that block out of Jenga. And the whole thing just crumbles. No resurrection, there's nothing left. It's not just Paul, according to verse 15, they're all liars. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. The preaching is just useless without the resurrection. There's no church, there's no hope, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no forgiveness, there's no point. You may as well believe in um, Peter Pan or Kung Fu Panda. Preaching is useless. Uh, your loved ones are lost. That's there in verse 18. Those also who have fallen asleep. That's the, the Bible's way of saying they've died. In Christ they are lost. And so your Aunt Mary, who's a lovely, godly Christian woman, and you're on her deathbed, uh, you pray and you weep, but hey, she's with Jesus because she's a, a lovely Christian lady. But if there's no resurrection, if Jesus was not raised, then that is just wishful thinking. You're not going to see her again. Because there's no resurrection of the dead, death has not been defeated. Your loved ones are lost if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if that's the case, when we just, we just live and we die and we just cease to exist. If Jesus is not raised, your loved ones are lost. The worst bit of all, if Jesus is not raised, well, your faith is worthless. Uh, verse 14, end of verse 14. Our preaching is useless and so is your faith. He says again in verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
And the cross didn't work. If the body's still in the tomb, the cross did not work, and the penalty for sin was not paid, and you're still going to face the horrors of hell, because Jesus did not die on the cross, taking the full penalty for your sins, if he was not raised. Because he said he would be raised. As the stamp, as the guarantee, the cross really worked. See how our faith is worthless? Uh, one thing that really annoys me, when people say to me, uh, as long as your faith makes you happy, or they say, you know, it helps you in this life. It's rubbish. You know, if this is not true, then I'm just going to walk out of this building right now because it's a complete and utter waste of time. That's what he says in verse 19. Uh, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all people, because we've fallen for the biggest hoax in world history. We've believed in the future when there is no future. We've given up creature comforts. For what? For nothing. We've given our time to work for God. For what? For nothing, if there's no resurrection. We give our money to to church so people can preach about Jesus. For what? For nothing. You spend time praying to God. What's the point if there's no resurrection? You, you stayed a virgin to your wedding night. You only date believers. Why? It's pointless without the resurrection. Uh, you've come to church and you could be down in the pub or you could be at the movies or you could have dinner with your friends. Uh, you read your Bible. What's the point if there's no resurrection? Some of us even make huge sacrifices. You put friendships on the line for the, for, the, for the cross and the resurrection. What is the point if there's no resurrection? Why bother? I want to say right here, friends, if Jesus did not rise, just get up, walk out of this building right now. You've got better things to do on your Sunday night than sitting in an old building on uncomfortable pews, singing songs about a person who is still dead. If he did not rise, we are idiots. You are and I am. But he did rise. But he did rise, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. That is the best news in the world, isn't it? He has been raised. Since he, since he has been raised, our, our future is certain. That's what it says in verse 20. Christ is the first fruits. It's just an Old Testament word from the book of Leviticus where, you know, the priest got a portion of the harvest because the rest was guaranteed. The first fruits that guaranteed what was to come. Christ is the first fruits. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection, my resurrection and your resurrection. It is certain. Why? Because because death has been defeated. Look at verse 21. Stick with me. For since death came through a man, who is that man? Adam. Death came through Adam when Adam sinned, and we all share in that sinfulness of Adam. We're all born with that seed called self. Verse 21, the resurrection of the dead comes through also through a man. Who's that man? Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, yeah, we're on Adam's team, we're playing on Adam's team, we're kicking the ball one way saying death, 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 death. But, verse 22, in Christ all will be made alive. 
And not all people, but all who are in Christ. They've changed teams. They're, they're playing for Jesus' team now. But the problem is people still die. You know, we still have coffins, we still have graveyards, we still have cemeteries. We see people die, we don't see them alive. That's okay, verse 23. Each in his own turn. There's a process, an order. Christ, the first resurrection, the first fruits. And then when Jesus comes, those who belong to him. It's kind of saying that when Jesus was raised, uh, the clock started ticking. I don't know whether you've been down to um, the cathedral, the Catholic cathedral, the countdown to World Catholic Youth Day. The Pope is coming. I don't know how many days we've got left now, but we've had it for the last year, the countdown of the days. It's kind of like with the resurrection, the countdown began. But it's not the Pope coming, it's Jesus coming back. And the problem is we can't have any neon signs because we don't know when it's going to happen, do we? But the countdown has begun and when he comes he will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And then, verse 24, then the end will come and he'll hand over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he destroys all dominion, authority and power. For Jesus must reign, he is reigning now and he will reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. He's, he's powerful to do that. Verse 26 the last enemy to be, to be destroyed is what? Is death. Isn't that our beast enemy? Death. Isn't that what we fear most? Isn't that what we spend our time worrying about? Do we spend money trying to avoid it? Just prolonging life. I heard a good illustration this week about action movies. It is like the, the action movies. I'm not an action movie kind of guy. I prefer Art House Dendy, but the occasional action movie is okay. You know? The action movies, you've always got the, the bad guys and then the really, really, really bad guy. And as you go through the action movies, you, you, you knock off all the bad guys and you're sitting there going, yeah, but, but there's a really, really bad guy out there. Until the really bad guy's killed, then it's not game over. And if you've got clever Hollywood, what they do is that they finish the first film and the hero kills the bad guy, the really, really, really bad guy, and the last scene is you just see the hand move of the really bad guy. And you go, he's not dead. And then you've got the sequel. You know, we're waiting for the hero to kill the really, really, really bad guy. And that's called death. He started the process and he'll finish the process on that last day. And when he does that, we'll be raised to new life. That is for certain, that's for sure. I, say, I don't know what you think happens when you die. But I'm in Christ. I know where I'm going. And that changes everything, doesn't it? Sure. I've had people I know and I love and they've died young. Ben died when he was 28. Two kids. Yes, it's painful, but I know where he's gone because he's a believer. How am I certain? Because Jesus was raised. Chris died last year in a, in a road traffic accident. He was my age, two kids. Yes, it's sad. Yes, there's a gaping ho hole. But you know, I know where he's gone because he's a believer. How can I be sure? Because of the resurrection. Do you have that certainty? If you were to walk into the doctors tomorrow and they said, I'm sorry, there's nothing that we can do. 
Would you, of course there's pain and of course there's sadness, but you know where you're going. Because death has been defeated because of the resurrection. But it's not all future, and with this I'll, I'll finish. Because Jesus is raised, it, it impacts our lives now. It's got to change how we live today. The resurrection kicks in today. If you're in Christ, it's got to impact your life now. Because knowing where you're heading changes what you do now. Again, I'm going to nick an illustration. It's a brilliant illustration. It's by a guy called Joshua Harris. He talks about how he loves to stay in hotel rooms. Have you ever stayed in a hotel room? It's pretty cool, isn't it? Because you don't really care about the mess that you leave. You know, you walk out of the shower in your towel and you just chuck your towel on the floor because someone else will pick that up for you. And you don't bother to make your bed because you're not going to be there tomorrow. When you know you're going to be there tomorrow, when you know what the tomorrow is, it changes the way you look. Hopefully you don't walk around your own home and just chuck a towel on the floor and just leave your bed. Well, some of us do, I know, but we shouldn't. Knowing you've got a tomorrow changes what you do today. That is Paul's point in chapter 15. Because if there is no tomorrow, if there is no resurrection, if there is no life after death, verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, do what you want. Drink the best wine, date who you want, spend what you like, indulge, enjoy, create a mess, because there's no future, there's no tomorrow. But since Christ is raised... It matters how you live. It matters how you live. Verse 30. Why did Paul endanger himself every day? Because he believed in a tomorrow. Why did he die every day? Literally put his life on the line every day. Why? Because he believed in the resurrection. Why did he preach? Why did he stand up to religious people? Uh, Why do you speak out for Jesus? Uh, Why do you budget differently? Why Why do you... Are you not bothered about the latest gadget... Why, why do you watch different movies? Why do you invite people to your house? Why do you go to a connect group? Why? Because of the resurrection. Because you believe in something about tomorrow. It's been said that you become like those you spend the most time with. And I think that's true, isn't it? You become like people you spend the most time with. And the problem with the Corinthians is they've been spending time with bad people. Verse 33. Bad company corrupts good behaviour. So stop hanging around with people who don't believe in Jesus. Stop being corrupted by, by people who have crazy ideas about the resurrection. Come back to Jesus, come back to the Bible and allow the resurrection to shape your today. I know most people in this congregation. I look out to your faces. I know many of you have actually met and encountered the risen Lord Jesus. If that is you, two things are going to happen. I can say to you, what's going to happen when you die? And with a smile on your face, you'll look at me and you'll say, I know where I'm going. I don't, I don't relish the prospect or, or the pain of actually going through death, but, but I know where I'm heading. And I'll say, why is that? And you can say, because Jesus was raised, because of the resurrection. And then I can say to you, you know, there's, you know there's a tomorrow. Is that going to change the way you live today? Is that going to shape what you do tonight and tomorrow and the next day? Because it should. And it does.
อันนี้ใครบัตรคริสต์ทรงได้เป็นรับจากการตายเป็นต้นผลของคนที่ตื่นตื่นนอนหลับพระเจ้าขอบคุณที่คุณทรงให้เราได้รับการยอมรับจากพระเจ้าขอบคุณที่คุณทรงให้เราได้รับการยอมรับจากพระเจ้าขอบคุณที่คุณทรงให้เราได้รับการยอมรับจากพระเจ้าขอบคุณที่คุณทรงให้เราได้รับการยอมรับจากพระเจ้าขอบคุณที่คุณทรงให้เราได้รับการยอมรับจากพระเจ้าขอบคุณที่คุณทรงให้เราได้รับการยอมรับจากพระ Lord, I pray that we will be resurrection people whose lives are shaped and transformed by the empty tomb. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.